Welcome to episode two of Nearsighted Podcast. I'm Brandon Williams, and with me is my co-host, Big John Eisner. How you doing today, John? Oh, man. I wish uh, wish the game would have gone better, but I can't complain besides that, and I'm sure I'll complain plenty in the episode, so uh, <laughs> I'll save it for later. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of the game, I uh, I heard you happened to get tickets. You know, how did those come about? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's just it's just one of the many perks of being on this podcast is sometimes you luck into uh, some tickets and uh, sometimes you luck into some tickets to uh, some donor events. I don't know how uh, how we got in, but somebody got us in. Yeah, whenever you donate as little as I do, they feel bad for you and they're like, hey, man, we know you don't really contribute here, but... You can come to this event. So I took advantage of that and I said, I'm going to bring John too because he doesn't donate anything. So, um, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was awesome. We, uh, we got to, we got to talk to some of the coaches and, and Ren Baker. Um, also had a chance to navigate the facility a little bit and, and see where the players practice for football. Uh, overall, it was, it was a pretty crazy experience because I've never been in there personally. I know we have like tours and stuff that are available to us, but, Never really done it, and it was cool to see for sure. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very impressive building, and it's always funny too because you often hear like schools like West Virginia don't have the like luxuries or the facilities of some of these other like blue blood big schools. I, I'm just I'm calling bullcrap on that now. Uh, seeing what they had there and just like that little amount of time that we were there. I can't imagine what else they have. Like they they have really nice facilities, and it's obvious. I mean, they're they're a power five school. It's not like they're gonna have crap, um, but it was nicer than even I expected. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that the um lo- the locker room, the new locker rooms they made were like top notch. Like their workout facilities, the locker room, the rehab I don't facilities. I've heard that those are like top like five probably in in the, in the in the nation which people were really surprised with and you hear a lot from the recruits of we can't believe how good the facilities are and the money they put into this and um one thing I will credit Shane Lyons with doing a good job of was was definitely all the renovations to that for sure Yeah, I mean he is definitely a um better architect than athletic director, that's for sure. <laughs> so let's get into the review of of last week's game. So John Obviously, we were both there. We uh, we got to feel the emotions of the game, uh, going into the fourth quarter with a lead, and then everything just derailed from there. Um, offense looked really good, I thought, uh, outside of the first couple of drives, which is crazy because if you remember in your preview, you said that your guess was we're going to start <laughs> slow, and then the first quarter is going to yeah. be a little shaky, but then we're going to find our own, and we're going to really get the ball going take the lead, take control of the game, which is what we did, honestly, until the fourth quarter, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, it, the the real reason that you're able to look at that and see it, I mean, that coming off the Houston game, Houston's just, it was a big game. It was a lot of emotion, and you have to feel for, like, the coaches and players, and you know that they're coming in amped up, and a lot of the times when that happens, uh, you see plays like, uh, you know, the interception by Garrett, you know, you just see little stuff where you're like, okay, they're they're gonna calm down. You just have to give them a second. Yeah, for sure. Um, so to point out some players of the game, maybe that we feel did did what we wanted them to do, or maybe stood out. 
Uh, obviously, Justin Johnson being back in the game was <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, he had around 80 yards rushing. I think he was averaging like what, like five or six yards a carry. And uh, Preston Fox, obviously, everybody saw what Preston Fox did. This is a very good game for him. He's he's been pretty consistent the whole year, honestly. He the beginning of the year he had some drops and things like that, but that happens early on. Obviously, there's a lot of football to be played, and and he really stuck to it, and it showed this week. I mean, the catch on his back was crazy. The one in the end zone where he's just like diving backwards for a bull, for the for the ball. I mean, I I don't know about you, John, but the wide receiver group just really felt like it was coming together this game. Everyone kind of did their part. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've. I've talked about him a couple of times with you. I'm, I'm really high on Preston Fox. I think that he's one of those kids that's, I mean, he just plays his heart out every play. Like that dude doesn't take plays off. And I can't say that for the rest of the wide receiver room right now. Yeah. Um, and it was obvious. I mean, four, four catches, 81 yards plus, I mean, just the stuff, like the hustle plays that he made. If you, if you go back and watch, you can see where like he knows he's not getting the ball and is still doing everything he's supposed to. Justin Johnson, you mentioned him earlier, 14 carries, 72 yards on the touchdown. I just felt like when he was rushing uh, this game, obviously he missed because he had that shoulder injury. Uh, when he was, when he had the ball, it just, him and CJ can be such a great like duet mm -hmm. together. Uh, it's such a great change of pace. And I think now having Justin back is going to be, you know, a pretty massive game changer. And don't be surprised if, he ends up carrying the ball more than CJ on most games. Cause I, I just think he's a better overall back. That's no slight towards CJ. He's still young in his, you know, running back career, but I just think Justin Johnson right now is a better player for us as the offense has progressed. And last but not least, uh, EJ Horton should see the field more like that kid is he's doing the right things. He his routes are very crisp. Like when he makes a cut, he makes the defender yeah. pay. And it's extremely impressive to watch. I don't know if we're going to see more of him, but I felt way more confidence anytime him and Fox were on the field than I did with some of the other receivers. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing to remember also to everyone listening, John, myself, we have to remember that our wide receiver group is a work in progress. A lot of them, we've got two guys mm -hmm. that are true freshmen that are that are playing and, and starting some games. Yep. Um, but... EJ Horton does bring a little bit of, of maturity to the group. He's, I think he's a junior, maybe transfer for Marshall, but we didn't have him the first yeah. four, four games, I think because of an injury and all the coaches did was talk about him. He was kind of going to be like this, like secret weapon. And uh, sure enough, I mean, this game showed it why, why he is a weapon for sure. Uh, I hope they don't keep him a secret the much longer, out. but yeah, the secret, yeah, I, mean, I think the, is the out. secret's out that, that kid needs, that kid needs to be on the field. I mean, it's yeah, as simple absolutely. as that. I mean, he, he was, he was so impressive. Three catches, 79 yards. I mean, and it was, it was more than that too. I mean, just, it just seemed like having him on the field. I don't know if it calmed down Garrett, but if you go back and watch the plays that he's on the field, it just seems like him and Fox are two guys that Garrett can lean on. Yep. Speaking of Garrett, I think this maybe closed our offense from the game. Um, I don't know if you've seen the statistic or not. But the yardage that Garrett had in total, uh, only two other players in the history of Mountaineer sports have had that kind of yardage in a game. Do you know who those players are? 
Uh, I'm going to assume Pat White and Geno Smith. Rasheed Marshall. But yes, Pat White, Rasheed Marshall. I think Rasheed did it twice. Okay, Pat Rasheed did it once. Marshall, that's fine. Yeah. Yep. So that's pretty good company for a guy that's six, five, yeah, six starts into that's his career. Good. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. a lot of people do forget that. He is an upperclassman, but he's only started six games. He's not even a season worth of starts in between last year and this year. So I, th- I think the sky's the limit with him. I, th- I really think that he's looked good these last two games. Obviously, there's some decision-making things that you know the coaches have talked about. But honestly, in my opinion, when you've got a guy who's making all the plays, you can't second-guess him when he doesn't make the play the one time. Like I, I just think it's an absurd uh, criticism. It obviously, say, hey, man, you, know, you kind of messed up. But I think people harping on it is, is absurd. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with him uh, on that. I mean, he has the the option to hand the ball. I'm assuming you're talking about that fourth down play. Yeah, yeah. He has yeah. the option to hand the ball or to or to take it himself. I think he calls it like a Superman play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have a problem with him taking the ball there. I, I mean, he kept us in the game for a long time uh, and has kept us in several games this year. And it's just been one of those things. If he wants the ball, take it. I mean, he's a leader of the offense. It's pretty obvious. Uh, that being said, he does have to get better with his decision-making, throwing the ball. There were yeah. too many times. I mean, he could have easily been picked off three times this game. There were two drops of interceptions that probably should have been picks. Uh, he has to know when to throw the ball away, and he also has to know when a sack is okay, or at least better than the other option. Because there were some times, I mean, uh, there was a... I think it was like a, a tight end uh, curl route on the right side of the field. I, th- I think it was like a 12-yard curl. It wasn't, wasn't very long, but he calls the tight end back to come towards him. But instead, he should have just thrown it over the tight end's head out of bounds. But he, you know, he risks it, almost gets picked. I, he's a great player. He's going to get better. Like I'm very excited for him next year to see you know how well he does. But decision-making in terms of throwing the ball, I think has to get a little bit better and it will. I I don't think that that's going to be an issue. And I think Neil talked about that a little bit too. It's just sometimes he's, his decision-making has to get a little better. And I I agree with that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that there's less errors. They're just very obvious errors. And then once we get over that hump, it's maybe just like one or two minor errors, three, four minor errors. Like I'd rather have a few you know, misreads or, or overthrown routes versus throwing it into the hands of the other team that, you know, at a crucial time or um, making a bad read as far as handing the ball off to CJ or not, which I saw a still, which obviously stills don't tell you everything about it, but I saw a still of CJ looking at like three defenders <laughs> whenever Garrett decided to take that ball. So yeah. Obviously, the coaches yeah, watched know, the coaches film, there. And, yeah. yeah, and you can't see everything. You know, probably you, yeah. the, the guy on the edge was probably looking more at Garrett than he was at CJ. So CJ probably goes beside him. But, anyways, um, but yeah. So enough about our offense. Uh, I mean, I think that what everybody wants to talk the, about is probably the the defense. last thing to add. The okay, the last thing to add there, though, Brandon is, I also don't think it was a great play call. Like, you're it's yeah. fourth and three. I don't think that that's a great call at midfield. Um, especially when you've had success throwing the ball um, and the middle of the field's wide open. So I still don't think yep. it's a great play call either. So I can't, I can't really be that mad at Garrett when I look at the play call and go, Hmm, 
probably something probably something better in your bag there. Yeah. Um so let's go on to the defense. Uh, obviously there was a lot of a lot to be uh talked about here um from that game. I, I think we maybe don't spend too much time on this just because it's going to come up with our UCF preview as well, but uh, obviously there were some issues up front. The Oklahoma State's offensive line looked like they should, they're all NFL caliber players. So we, we were only able to <laughs> yeah, pressure they're the, not. the court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's weird because no one talked about them before, but now they look so good. So that only leads you to believe one thing, which mm-hmm. is that they probably had an above average game and we probably had a below average game. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that, look, Neil, you and I both listened to the press conference. Neil said that the defensive line played better. I, I don't agree with that. I think the defensive line had a really bad game. Um, no sacks. And I know that we talked, you and I talked offline about this too. And, and Neil mentioned it. Their quarterback gets the ball out extremely quick. I mean, if, if you look at a comparison like Joe Burrow in the NFL, he has to get rid of the ball pretty quickly, or at least did when he had a bad offensive line. The same goes for Oklahoma State. That's not the problem. The problem is that their bad offensive line and having to throw the ball fast wasn't even, he didn't even need to do it that game because no one was getting to him. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, a pretty terrible. Plus, I mean, just the fourth quarter alone, man, allowing over 150 yards rushing. And these weren't like small holes that, you know, Ollie was running through. I mean, these were, you could fit a semi through these holes. I mean, it was that bad. So I disagree with Neil. I don't think that they played better. I think they played uh, significantly below average uh, there. And you and I have talked about this too. I mean, some of the worst tackling that WVU has had in years, which is saying something because we've had some terrible tackling. <laughs> they said, uh, I think the coach just said um, something no one, like... No one has fundamentals here. They said something like 16 missed tackles, but they were being generous. He added that note like, so probably upwards of, of 20 missed tackles which is just ridiculous oh yeah i mean i no doubt no doubt i mean no one wraps up anymore dude i I sound like a geezer like kids these days you know they never wrap up (laughs) but like it's the truth like they're all hitting with their shoulder and i don't i don't understand like just wrap them up bring them to the ground move on get a stat like you know those stats are cool too you don't have to light every person up yeah the stats Uh, i feel like that that's something that continually happens Right. No one, no <laughs> one is going to, to draft you based off that one hit. What they will draft you on is, you know, a 12 tackle game. <laughs> yeah. The old saying, there's no pictures on the scorecard and um, there's no pictures on the stat sheet. That is true. That tackle is a tackle. Yep. It doesn't matter how you did it. Obviously there's videos and social media and stuff like that now too, but, and that definitely plays oh, a factor yeah. in yeah. how these kids are drafted and, and everything. Um, I think the, the bigger issue, I think the, the, the defensive line, obviously, Big question mark. Had a bad game, but the lack of linebacker depth definitely showed this week. I think they seemed like they were kind of out of place. They didn't. They weren't. You know, hitting hitting the the holes. Like they weren't. They weren't plugging up the holes. Sorry, and it just seems that maybe that was a strength of ours previously, which I think we could all agree on. Lee Koba and and, and Trey Latham before he was out big strength of our defense and i think them not having a good game is kind of the the big hole in the middle of the field that showed all these other issues that we have with the the safeties being out of place or making bad tackles downfield because normally 
the safeties weren't the first guy to try and hit that person. Like it was a linebacker who was in the right spot and slowed him down a little bit or, or whatnot. And they were taking half tackles and, and things like that. So I, I think the story of, of the defense outside of tackling was poor linebacker play and, and probably just showing a little bit of youth in, in that, in that position. Yeah. I mean the linebacker, this is, this is by far, and I bragged about them last week on <laughs> on the podcast, but this was by far, uh, I even said this is the best linebacking group that Neil Brown has had while he's at West Virginia. I still think that based just talent wise, yeah. but this is by far the worst game that they've played um, all season. They, even when they were in correct spots, they couldn't make tackles. They couldn't bring uh, people down, especially Ollie. I mean, that dude, I said it last week. I wish he was in a WVU uniform. I I wish that. <laughs> I think everybody does that based off week. of what he just did to yeah. Yeah. I mean, what he did to us, but I just, we, we struggle with our linebacking group and we'll talk about it in the UCF stuff. So I won't go too far into it, but blitzing getting home is just atrocious this year. It, it is so bad it is as if we do not bring any pressures, which isn't true. We, we bring five man a lot. Um, it's actually crazy. But that was a, the, a, the beginning of the season. We actually were leading or a leader in the nation with pressures. And now we're, yeah, we're what total 14, pressure rate, like rate was seven great. each of the last two games. Yeah. I mean, our pressure rate was great uh, at the beginning of this year, but it, it has just significantly dropped. I don't know if scheme has changed. I haven't looked that far into it, um, but the pass rush is just so bad. I mean, five tackles for loss on a run heavy team, like the tackles for loss are a, underrated stat just based off when you play teams like this because that mean that at least means you're hitting them before they get to the line so it's you're getting some penetration that didn't happen this game um and it definitely didn't happen uh from the linebacking group and you mentioned it just a second ago uh this is my last point on the defense um safety play i'm i'm impressed with anthony wilson i think that he's going to be a player uh over the course of the next year or two, I think he's going to get a lot better, but on the, I, I'm not going to be one of those guys that calls out a bunch of players, but, um, on the other side of the field, our other safety has got to play better. I mean, it, that was between missed tackles, missed assignments, uh, not being able to recognize a run play versus a, uh, play action pass. It, it has to get better because that was part of the, the, the terrible play um that happened yeah this another person that we really emphasized last week being a a crucial part of the defense but uh but yeah yeah um so lastly it's special teams uh, obviously there's a there's one play that we all wish we could have back <sighs> and not to harp on it too much you know there's a lot of things that go into it you and i have probably actually i'm gonna say probably you and i have never ran over 20 miles an hour so you don't know the effects of being slightly shoved or bumped sure. or or whatnot, but the fact of the matter is, he shouldn't have been in the position. If he was paying attention, he pressing called for the fair catch. Um, not to call players out, but we we know who everyone's like thinking about and talking about with this play. It's just it's just a play that shouldn't have happened. But it's an anomaly play, and like apparently the ball's just rolling that way for us these last two weeks, where nine times out of ten that doesn't happen. And we probably go on to win the game. Obviously, the way the guy ran in the fourth quarter, if that continued to happen, we had no chance still. But, um, but yeah, so 
I don't know. There's not a lot to talk about. Special teams honestly played pretty well outside of that one play. Yeah, I mean, we had a uh, – we forced a turnover. We partially blocked a punt, right? Yep. We had them miss a field goal. So, I mean, we had a lot of good things, but, uh, man, it, that's an inexcusable play from Wilson Lamp. Like, I'm just going to say it. Like, yeah. And Neil Neil said it, too. Like, it's just something that you can't happen, and, and Neil's terminology is spot on. Like, you have to peep the runner. Like, you have to be able to see the man that you're about to block for, and when you don't and you get lost in space, this is what happens. And it's the number one thing that you're taught when you're a gunner. Yep. You just can't do that. I think it's and better it to miss to the block than to like, kill the receiver. <laughs> thousand percent. A thousand percent. Especially, especially when that guy just called for a fair catch. Because yeah. now you're not even, you don't even have to turn your hips now. You just have to get out of the way. That's it. Yep. Just don't hit him. <laughs> like, yep. that's the one job on a fair catch. But it's, it's a terrible play. Um, he's had a, he's had a disappointing season this year. Um, and his, I think his playing time has kind of shown that too. But that being said, that doesn't mean that he's not going to turn it around or get better. Um, and maybe this will be like a wake up play for him, which sometimes that does happen. Like you just have a really bad play and it just kind of kicks you into gear. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if that was this kind of play, but I mean, we got to see something else because that was, yeah, it sucked. And it was a big moment. Like, it wasn't like we were, you know, we, we had just forced them (laughs) to, you know, to punt. Uh, it was a huge play at that point, and to have that happen at that that time was just such a momentum. Yeah, especially killer. knowing what we know now, that play was monumental. Uh, yeah, obviously yeah. in the moment, probably yeah. didn't feel as big. It was special because we hadn't really figured them out on offense the last few drives. We finally get a stop. Our offense is chugging right. along, and it it was a, it was definitely a potential for us to finally take over the game. So hindsight, very big play. It, that's what it felt um, like. <laughs> it felt like our offense was coming back on to ta- it was coming on the field to take over. Like it really yeah. did. That's what it, it felt like. We were okay. Here it is. WVU is about to take this game over and, and control the rest of the game. Yeah, like our forty yard. And I, I still think that. Position. I, I still think that that's what happens if if we don't uh, have that. I still think the offense comes on, controls the clock, uh, and does a good job because they were they were the rest. You know that half they were okay. Third quarter was kind of slumpy, just like the first, but, well, you know, that happens. Yeah, I will also mention, I know we were kind of a little bit negative, rightfully so, in some ways. Um, Wilson Lamp has been very good when we're punting the ball at that at that at the jammer, or the, sorry, the gunner position, um, where he's making plays. He was actually the one with uh, Hudson Clement that made the, the, the forced fumble there. So, I think... It's very easy for us to look at the play that, you know, in hindsight probably changed the the outcome of the game. Most definitely changed the outcome of the game, actually. Um, but he, he has had some decent plays on the other side of special teams. But again, I, I agree with, with what you said in the most, you know, that he has had an underwhelming season, especially coming in where, where he came in as a, a highly talented recruit a few years ago. So uh, do you have anything else for the I thought he was going to be a review? ball. Like, yeah, I just... I just thought he was going to be a baller. I mean, that's all. And it's not like that. I'm, I, I'm quitting on him or anything. I just, yeah. I just want him to play better. Cause I know that he, I know he can, I've seen his tape. Like I know that he's good. Um, but you're right. He does make, he, he has made good plays when we're, uh, when we're punting, he's good in coverage. Uh, you know, he's, he's very fast. So he's able to get down there pretty quick and force fair catches too, which I think is an underrated, um, 
skill to have is when you're that fast to to force them to fair catch. Cool. Well, let's uh, move on to our preview of the UCF game. We've got UCF coming in three and four, zero oh and four in the Big Twelve. They're uh, they're at the bottom, but I'm not going to count anybody out at this point in the year. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> offense. What do you got to say about that, John? I know you you might. I mean, this guy's name is John too, so you, maybe you'll talk about him a little bit. Oh uh, man, uh, is it John Rice Plumley? Is that how you say his middle? Is yeah, I, I don't it's know pronounced why he goes Rice. By yep. Three names. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna call him Plumley. I'm gonna call him Plumley for now on. Um, w- watching the Oklahoma game, you can see if you go back and watch the game before uh, with UCF before the Oklahoma game, you can see where they're like, you know, kind of shaky. They look a little bit uncomfortable on offense. That wasn't the case as much against Oklahoma. I think it was because of Plumley. I think that he just kind of settles that offense down. Yeah. And you could see it too. Like he's able to read the defense a little bit better. He had some good checks um, against Oklahoma. I don't think that he's some like, he's not going to win the Heisman. You know what I mean? But he's a mobile quarterback who can, um, he can throw on the run. Uh, and I mean, to be honest, he's, he's a more mobile version of, of Bowman. Like, yeah, they both have weird. They have both have weird throws. Like Plumley throws, like he throws a baseball, just kind of like Garrett does. I think Neil talked about yeah. that, which I thought was a a good comparison. Um, but this team scores thirty four points a game. Like that's 29th in the country. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's not pretend that these guys can't put points on the board. Yeah. No. Um. What I saw out of them in at Oklahoma was, I mean, they were able to do some some pretty good scheming offensive wise to trick the 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 offense and or the defense into cheating up thinking that the Pumley's going to take off or they're going to hand it off to Harvey who also very solid back he's five and a half yards a carry um mm-hmm. but I think that they were able to scheme some ways to to get them to cheat up and then threw it over their heads and and that happened I think maybe twice uh one on the, on the big score it was like a 50 or 60 yard score I believe and and outside of that, though, they were able to move the ball. But when they got down to the red zone, it was like stall, stall, stall. And, and Oklahoma bailed them out a couple of times. And that's kind of how they got their first two scores. One was a, a personal, uh, uh, sorry, a, a face mask. And then the other one was just unnecessary roughness after the play. Or maybe it was taunting or something like that. It was, a, it was after the play. And both of those were able to extend the drives. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up scoring. So I do think I agree, like, the U- the UCF offense is is pretty solid. Uh, they can definitely move the ball. It's just they're it, it, watching the game. Like I wanted a little bit more, and I wanted them to finish. And with Oklahoma being Oklahoma, I don't know if it was so much as Oklahoma playing well in defense, or if they're just not able to finish. But the last few games, obviously, um, UCF has looked a little underwhelming in the Big Twelve play. But last week they they I mean they hung in there with. Probably the best team in the Big 12. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, they are, I'm telling you, this team is is eerily similar to Oklahoma State. Like, they run a lot of spread, but they throw in a lot of pistol uh, for R.J. Harvey, which is their running back. You already talked about it. Five and a half yards a carry, 85 yards a game. Uh, they're the number one ranked rushing offense in the Big 12. This is... It's like seeing a copycat, you know, except with a mobile quarterback as well. So it's going to yeah. be one of those things like the offensive 
uh, the defensive line has to play better. Uh, it's going to be a lot. I mean, this is, it's Gus Malzahn. So like two things that you can always guarantee with him, like even since he's been at Auburn, he runs the ball down your throat and his defense tackles. Like those are the two biggest things that he has always had throughout his entire career, no matter where he is. And it shows in the UCF team. Yeah, they're three and four. Yeah, they're 0 and four in the big 12. But I'm telling you, this offense can explode. I mean, they're 29th in the country with a backup quarterback playing a lot of minutes. Yep. So uh, I, I will say, though, that. And the last thing I want to point out statistically is that Oklahoma has they only allowed 14 points a game. Well, that didn't happen last week. Yeah. So, I mean, they were able to at least put up points against a really, really, really good Oklahoma defense. I don't think people realize how good that defense is. Um, but their offensive line, man, watching them when Oklahoma brought um, it, when Oklahoma brought five or six, they really struggled. I mean, they didn't give Plumlee much time. Oklahoma got home a lot. Uh, and Plumlee likes to take off pretty quick. Uh, he's kind of like what we talked about last week with Garrett, where Garrett has developed and uh, is still giving himself time to like make reads. Uh, Plumlee, I think, kind of struggles there, but dude's got an arm, and if he's got a receiver downfield, like uh, you know, he's able to do what he wants. He's got three receivers over twenty catches already. That's Barker, Hudson, and Townsend. And if for those listeners who's like twenty catches, that's not that much. WVU has one. Yep. Uh, and it's not even a receiver. It's a tight end. It's Cole Taylor. He's the only person. He's the only person on the team with 20 catches. So having three receivers with over 20 catches, that's pretty yeah, good. I think on the stat sheet, I even saw last week, they they had like eight people involved in, in receiving, uh, which is oh, yeah. which is a yeah. lot considering. I mean, they're deep. I don't even know if we have eight total receivers um, that are scholarship on, on WV right now. So <laughs> I don't uh, know, man. I'm starting to doubt it. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the defense, uh, they they right now they're allowing twenty eight points a game, which is ninety third in the country. So out of like a hundred and was a hundred and thirty, hundred forty teams, something like that. Yeah. So I think it's one thirty three. Defense is definitely rough, but we did see them hold Oklahoma to thirty one points last week, and honestly, that game was closer. It's weird because it was potentially closer because they really just missed the the chance at the the two-point conversion to tie the game. But I do think that yep. some of that was Oklahoma kind of pulling a West Virginia and keeping the other team <laughs> in the game and letting them hang around. And Oklahoma, obviously, being Oklahoma, was able to finish. Yep. But um, defense definitely a little lacking. Uh, obviously, we kind of said that about Oklahoma State, too. And we, we saw that, that our... Yeah. often struggled the first couple of uh possessions so um not gonna you know call a team bad but 93rd in the country 28 points a game that's that's it's a lot of points to average per game especially with the first three opponents being you know not power five schools but uh yeah defensive line yeah you want to talk mean, about uh you're right <laughs> the big guys you got listed here <laughs> yeah um so they play a lot of of three down uh, defensive linemen, but they bring usually two off of the edge, but they love to have five or six uh, at the line, including their linebackers and defensive ends. And then they drop in coverage. Uh, that's their big thing is they don't, they try to, to scheme around. They don't want you to see what they actually are in. That's where a lot of our motion I think is going to be beneficial, uh, which you saw last week uh, with Neil and the offense. They had a lot of pre-snap motion 
so that it gave them a read on the defense. I think that's going to be important against UCF. Uh, I will say, though, this team is – they have a two-headed sack monster. That's what I call it. <laughs> uh, Traymon Morris Brash and uh, Malachi Lawrence, who – Traymon has six sacks. Malachi has five. And this, the alarming, scary thing is that Lawrence is a freshman, and yeah. he is – just beating the brakes off of these grown men. Uh, the other scary statistic is that uh, Traymon Morris Brash has 14 tackles for loss himself. That's crazy. If you compare, yeah, if you compare the defensive line uh, to him, I, and I, I'm not making this up, I believe that he has more tackles for loss than our entire starting defensive line. Um, WVU doesn't have a defensive lineman close to his skill. It's it's not close. Like this kid is phenomenal. Uh not to mention Lawrence. Lawrence is like a he looks giant like on the field, but he's so fast it's scary. Yeah. So it's that's going to be uh, that's going to be a big big problem for the offensive line. Uh but I got to say I think that we have uh, you know, two really solid tackles that are going to take care of that, plus Frazier in the middle. Yeah, and we're going to have Rymac back potentially. I mean, he's going to be available, may not start. True. I I would see True. him. I think that that's some some uh, was it smoke and mirrors probably if I was to guess. I think yeah. that yeah. he may not start, but I think he's going to have majority of the playing time just because the way they're they're moving people around right now, it's clear that our offensive line was better before. So why not? Why would you? If you don't have to, why yeah. would you? In a, in a sense, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So what I would say, additionally to what you said about the defensive line on their end, is I wonder. Like my question, I guess, would be to you or to them or whoever's listening. Is I wonder if it has these tackles for loss. Like that's a crazy number. Like I, I would say that's a pretty good statistic, yeah. not just in comparison to us, but in general in, in college football. I wonder if it's oh, like yeah. something they're doing with yeah. their scheme, you know, like is like our scheme. I, f- I feel like more of our tackles for loss probably came from like our linebacker group and maybe like a safety blitz, something like that. I, I feel like before, you know, Lathan was down, like he had a lot of uh, TFLs and sacks. Um, so I, I wonder if something they're doing, shifting around or whatever is getting this guy free um, off the block to be able to make these tackles or is he just a freak? Well, I think it's twofold. One, he is a freak. Like he has, uh, he has beat the brakes off offensive linemen. If you go back and watch the Oklahoma game, there yeah. are a couple times where he just makes he makes them look like they're playing middle school football. Um, <laughs> that being said, they also do a they also do a really nice job of moving those two around. Like Lawrence, they'll play three three down men uh, on the line, and then Lawrence will be on the edge. So he, you know, he's a stand up end at that point who is you know trying to get around the tackle uh, and is much faster so he's able to do it uh Morris Brash I, it, he's just a grown man like he <laughs> whoever's on him it, usually he just you know dominates and uh I had heard about him before but this is the first time I've actually looked into him I mean he's very good but going back to your point uh Malzahn he schemes really well uh, with these two guys, like he moves them around on the field. So you constantly have to be on the lookout for them. And I think in college ball, some of these guys kind of get lost in the shuffle yeah. uh, when it comes to defensive rotations. And so if you lose him or if you lose Lawrence and you're not pointing him out, which I think we're going to be okay. Cause I think Frazier is really good at that. If you watch him on the yeah. field, 
but that's that's going to be big is is making sure that you know exactly where those two are yep totally agree with that um so last but not least special teams ucf what are we looking at here we've we've got uh probably one of the worst punt conferences <laughs> in in the big 12 which you know we do have Preston fox oh, and another yeah. position to make to make a play so this could work in our advantage if, if, with their coverage being so poor um also their their punter is you know, kind of struggling a little bit lately. He's not he, when you when you see him punt, which the last few weeks they've been punting a lot. Uh, but when you see him punt, it's just like he doesn't know, and the other team doesn't know wh- whether it's a you know going to be the the forty yard, fifty yard punt that changes the game, or is it going to go out of bounds twenty yards down the field? He's just really inconsistent, and and I I would say, and you probably agree with me, this is probably where WVU can try and control the game as far as. Uh, our pretty solid outside of last week the one play pretty solid punt return unit yeah i mean this uh, i mean i'll just say it their their punter is a big reason why they lost yeah uh, i mean the, he had a couple key punts he had a couple key pumps punts that uh did not net over 30 yards i mean it was that bad um he i don't know if he's got like the yips right now or what but he's really struggling so as long as we don't run into our uh, return man, <laughs> uh, I think that even if we even if we have to fair catch every single punt, I still think that we'll be in a good position. But I do project that Fox will have a couple uh, that he's going to be able to return because, uh, to be honest, like their coverage is just I don't know why they they do what they do. I'm sure that they have a reason, but it's not successful, uh, and it's they're not getting to the ball very quickly. Plus. The middle of the field is wide open on their punt coverage. Yeah. And you saw it last week, like when Oklahoma when Oklahoma actually did return the ball, they just ran straight forward. Yeah. Like that was there, it. Was, there were they no moves being cut. made. They didn't yeah. have to do anything. There's yeah, no, there's nothing. Because there there's just no one there. Uh so if you know, my boy Fox, I think, is gonna is gonna turn one on. Uh he might he might take one of the house this week. That would be phenomenal for for multiple reasons. Um but yeah, so I think in closing, um, what I want to see out of this game, and this is not emotionally based at all, and I'm not even joking about this, is I really want to see yeah. WVU run the score up. I know that we're not favored. I know it's in the bounce house. I, I heard it, it's maybe a, a sellout or close to a sellout game. I want to see us run the, the, the scoreboard up the is, way yeah. Kansas did against them. I think that we have a very similar style team to Kansas with, with our shifts on offense and the scheming and the the players in the backfield. I think that we could do what Kansas did to them. That's what I think we have to do. Um, there's a lot of negative narrative out there right now, and I think that the only way to stop that is to go in and show the teams that WVU had a couple of bad weeks, but but we're here to play. And there's a lot of you know, was it five games left, including this one? We've we've got a lot of time, and and the Big Twelve is wide open right now. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas both. While they won, they don't look invincible anymore. And everybody talked about how it was going to be them in a rematch for the Big 12. I really think there's going to be a big surprise. I'm not saying West Virginia is going to be there because uh, the the hopes have baselined a little bit. But I will say that I think there's going to be a team there that, did, that, that wasn't even in the conversation before. And I think that's how wide open that, that top half of the big 12 is right now. So in closing, like I said, I think we got to score a lot of points this week and show that our offense is capable. And I think our defense has to make some stops. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll just make a projection right now. If if UCF scores uh, their season average, I don't think WVU wins because that that means that they're controlling the clock most likely. Yeah, uh, and they're probably winning time of possession, which you don't want to lose time of possession to them because they're a running team. They can go on six, seven, eight minute drives. They've done it. it it's not something that they're you know not used to. Uh, obviously, Plumlee's got a good arm. I think the defense has to step up. Uh, the safety play has to be better, and the tackling cannot be as bad as it's it's been because once you get to this point in the season, you have to start winning if you want to become bowl eligible, obviously. And the, the season doesn't get easier. Like the, the schedule is going to get much tougher. You have an 0-4 Big 12 team. Like You have to take advantage of that. I'm not saying that UCF is a bad team. I'm saying that when four other teams have been able to survive them uh, and they have yet to win in this conference, you cannot once again be uh, the team that gives that team uh, a win in the big 12. We've already given, we've already given Houston one. We can't do it to UCF. We have to have some uh, pride. We've got to just come out and punch them in the mouth. And the other big thing is we have to run the ball better. Like it's going to be, I would, I would assume that we will probably hand the ball off almost 40 times this game. I think that that's where Neil that's where Neil's going to want to control the game and it should lead to play action pass, which is the last thing that I want to add in that I want to see more of. We have to have more play action pass. There's a reason why you run the ball 35 times a game and it's to set up the pass. So we have to do a better job at that and doing it over the middle of the field where their linebackers are a little you know sketchy. I think is going to be the best way to do that. Um, so that's what I want. I also want to, I wanted to give you a random fact, Brandon, before <laughs> we go into our impact player of the week. Uh, they, I believe it's going to be this week or it might be, it might've been last week, but uh, UCF is moving their defensive coordinator to the sidelines. He's never been on their sidelines. This is his first year as defensive coordinator, by the way, but he has always been in the box, uh, but they're going to move him down to the field because they say he's a high energy guy. Uh, so that's going to be interesting because he's going to have to rely on other people's eyes. Yeah. Now he he doesn't get to get, he's not going to see it from the top. So I'll be interested to see how that works out for them because they're, that's a big difference that people don't you know normally think about, but I did see an article about it. Uh, and Gus was on talking about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's get into the impact player of the week this week. Um, this is going to be a defensive player. Um, John, do you want to uh, introduce our player of the week? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a no-brainer. Uh, when when you and I started talking about Impact Player of the Week, this is the first person that came to mind. Uh, that's the big boy in the middle, Mike Lockhart. That he's gonna have to. If you look, I think his stats are misleading. Right, he doesn't have a lot of tackles. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have a sack. But what he does have is the ability to control the middle of the field uh, when it comes to running the ball. UCF runs the ball up the gut a lot. Go back to the Oklahoma game. They've got a couple sweeps and a couple pitches. But besides that, they run the ball straight up the middle a lot. It's essentially, let's put our big boys against your big boys and see who wins that battle. And they were able to win a lot of the battles last week uh, and control the the ability to run the ball. Mike Lockhart has to be the man in the middle here. He's going to have to control the middle of the line of scrimmage. Uh, obviously, he'll need help, but he's going to have to be the guy that we we rely on to stop the run up the gut. I don't care if they break... I mean, it's going to happen. Like if they break one on the corner, that's fine. But running it straight up the middle in your face as many times as Oklahoma State did was unacceptable and honestly inexcusable. And I don't think it shows uh, Lockhart's ability. I think that that guy can control the line of scrimmage. You watch his tape. He's good. Uh, 
Uh, he was good at Georgia Tech. Uh, he's got to be better this week, and I think he will yeah. be. So that's why he's going to be the impact player. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. Um, I'd also like to add, he's also very good and has been very good at finishing plays. Like, whenever he gets down, yeah. gets off his block, maybe the ball's past him, you'll see him running back down the field. And sometimes he's a part of he that hustles. tackle. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, he's high motor for sure. So I do, I agree. I, I, I think also that, don't think he has a lot of missed tackles. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that, that thing gets a hold of you. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> like he's a big dude. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, so I think that with this, this running back that they have uh, in, in Harvey, he's, he's very fast in space and we just can't afford to get him, let him have the space. So I think Lockhart's yeah. going to be a huge part of that, especially in those, those plays, like what you said, where they're just running it between the, the tackles. And, and I, I think that, uh, I think he's going to fill the part. Now, we were very wrong last week. Uh, we had a good prediction, I will say. Cole, Cole Taylor was a solid choice and was a good matchup, but yeah, they definitely schemed to keep him out of the game. I mean, he had eight targets and only two receptions, which is completely unlike him. And obviously the the one fumble play where the that guy who was, was tasked the fumble with was sting. Huge. Yeah. yeah. That, the guy that actually yeah. ran, that, ran, that, uh, ran him down and, and stripped the ball from him was tasked this week with – you know, being toe to toe with Cole Taylor, and he, obviously he he succeeded. So we missed last week, but I think this is a, this is a a lock, if you know what I mean. So uh, let's move <laughs> forward to our our big our Big Twelve spreads. Um, first up, John, we've got. Also, I think we we want to rename this. I think this is Big Twelve okay. spreads with Big John. I think that's what we call this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a call. Uh, so yeah, it was really creative. I don't know where I came up, came up with that, but, um, uh, first game we've got it at, uh, the early games, we've got Oklahoma versus Kansas, uh, Oklahoma's favorite 10. Um, that's probably going to change. I would guess probably 10 and a half by game time, 11 and a half, something like right. that. But right now it's sitting at 10. Um, how do you feel about this one? I think I would take Oklahoma minus 10. Uh, they, they had a terrible week, and uh, if you go back, which at some point once we we kind of get this down, I think we can go back and do a whole series of just making fun of how wrong we are on some of these bets. <laughs> uh, I I think I, I I think I literally said last week Oklahoma doesn't have a lot of letdown games, <laughs> and then they had a letdown game. Uh, but I'm gonna say it again. I don't think they have two in a row. I think Kansas is a great team, uh, no doubt about it. I just think Oklahoma writes the ship. I don't think it's much more than 10, but I think it's it's going there. Yeah, I think there's a lot to consider here. I don't know for sure. I had to look it up. This would be around about time. It's at Kansas. Is this Kansas's homecoming game? Yeah. It's possible. Um, oh, it might be. It might so, be. I mean, it, it really is. It just depends which Kansas team shows up because the Kansas team that yeah, showed up early part. on – um and now like you know their quarterback bean is kind of hitting strides he had a really good game against oklahoma state just had some mistakes late that that kind of lost in the game but um i mean i agree with you i, I think oklahoma is probably the safe bet this is one of those games i probably wouldn't touch um i'd probably go over if anything um but i I'd not, take the over. I, I probably yeah, i probably wouldn't take the spread on this but if i have to gun to my head i'm probably going to take oklahoma i think that's probably the safe a safe pick if you have to but yeah again i would probably just take the over on this game um next game would be houston versus kansas state kansas state's favorite 16 and a half which is a very fair number i feel like with their performance last week 
All right, you you take this one first. We'll alternate. That's what we'll do. Okay, we'll sure. Learn it on the fly. <laughs> I like it. We're just making it up as we go. So uh, for this Make game, Kansas State, I think is. <laughs> I think this is the a for sure Kansas State pick here. Um, I was very wrong last week, and I'll admit that. And we we said that in our kind of recap <laughs> on Sunday. TCU. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> what happened there, but they looked lost to say to be nice about it, and. And Kansas State feel like they had it all figured out. They they were playing two quarterbacks last week too, and they still won by it was like forty one to seven or something. So, um, forty one yeah. to three, I think actually was the number. Uh, yeah. yeah so I, I don't think, think they put up a touchdown. Yeah, I, I think that Kansas State takes the spread here. I think sixteen and a half. They they probably win honestly by by three full scores, probably like eighteen to twenty, something like that. You say you say TCU. You think that they looked lost. I I don't think they got off the bus. I don't know who that was that took the field, but holy crap! It wasn't a football team. I'll tell you that. My God, they my I, my slogan for this uh, this episode is gonna be "Beat the brakes off of them" because jeez, Louise, Kansas State just took it to them. I mean, they're that was rough for for TCU. Uh when it comes to this game, I'm with you Kansas State. I think uh as much as last week had a bunch of emotion obviously for the Houston, this has none. Uh, I just think Kansas State's a much better ball uh ball team. I think that they are going to be uh pretty motivated to keep, you know, going on a roll because as you said, uh Oklahoma and Texas are not unbeatable and there's there could be a spot open in that Big 12 game and I'm sure Kansas State wants to be there. Uh, so I'm going to say that they win this game by by 20 points. That's that's going to be my guess. Yep, totally agree with that. Yeah, they're they're definitely eyeballing that uh, that uh, shoe in spot there potentially. Yeah. Um, yep. All right. Next game is going to be Iowa State Baylor. Iowa State is a two and a half point favorite. This is you. <laughs> remember last week. Remember last week when I said we should start calling Vegas and thanking them for spreads. Let's do it again. Call them, let them know that we're just so thankful that they gave us Iowa State minus two and a half. Uh, Baylor played very well against a bad Cincinnati team. I think Iowa State wins this game by seven points. I don't think two and a half is even close to enough. Yeah, I I agree. I thought, honestly, you you kind of tricked me a little bit there. I thought you were going to be like, thanks again, (laughs) Baylor. Baylor Baylor plus two and a half to the moon. That's the guy you were about to. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hey, I was right. I was right, though. Call your legislator. But I I agree. I I don't know what they did, but thanks. Yeah, I I agree, though. I think Iowa State, uh, maybe not popular belief, but I think Iowa State actually looks like they're kind of figuring things out these last few games. And maybe it's quality of opponent. I don't know. But I do think that a two and a half point spread for Iowa State is is free money. So I would take I would take Iowa State in this for sure. Um yeah. next game, BYU versus Texas. Texas is a seventeen and a half point favorite. So Ooh, where you at I'm this? thinking here. I'm going to go on a limb and I'm gonna take some advice from okay. a friend. <laughs> and right. he's not gonna be named in this. But I heard a little That's birdie fine. told me <laughs> BYU is not the worst team in the Big Twelve, <laughs> and <laughs> oh yeah, their, yeah. their offense is pretty good. I think is maybe what he said. So I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Texas is down a quarterback. No one really knows what the game plan is right now. 
I, I think that uh, BYU covers this. I'm not going to say they're going to win. I don't think they can win, but you never know. Anything can happen. I just don't think that Texas has got three scores in them to beat BYU by. Is uh, is Ewers playing? Uh, right now, it, it says up in the air about what their plans are. Um, this is obviously, you know, beginning of the week. A lot could change in the next few days, but right now, it, they say they don't know. Okay. Um, man, that's tough. If I'm going to be honest, if Quinn, if Quinn Ewers was playing, this would make my decision better or easier, I guess not really better. Um, looks like if they move forward, it could be Malik Murphy who gets the start. Uh, I don't know much about Malik, but I do know a lot about their third string guy. Uh, you've probably heard of him, Brandon. His name is Arch Manning Jr. Um, (laughs) who I have who I have tagged as the most overhyped prospect in the NCAA because uh, he played against toddlers in high school. And of course he looked good against them. Uh, but that being said, uh, yeah, I'm taking BYU. I don't think it's even a limb here. Uh, I, I think Texas is a great team and it's obviously in Austin, uh, but BYU has surprised me. So I'm just going to, I'm jumping on the bandwagon. Like our, like our good friend said, BYU is not the worst. So that's enough for me. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the worst, uh, we've got Cincinnati versus Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State <laughs> yeah, is, is a seven and a half point favorite. And I- I'm just going to take a quote from someone else on the show that's not me and say, ring, 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 Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I just wanted to thank you so much for the free money because, and I know I'm going out of turn yeah. here. But Oklahoma State seven and a half points that's against okay. a very down Cincinnati team. Uh, I think that that's free money. So hammer the over. Here's here's what I'm doing. I am I'm going into my little DraftKings app or FanDuel, uh, whoever sponsors us, you know, at some point. All but uh, I'm going in there. I'm going in there. I'm taking a look at that line, and I'm saying, you know what? Screw you, line. I'm going to scroll down just a tiny little bit to alternative lines and I'm going to put my finger and slide it all the way to the right to the moon because (laughs) Oklahoma state might win this game by a thousand. This might be the highest scoring game of all time for one team. Uh, I expect that Ollie will have somewhere near, I don't know, 650 yards rushing at this point uh, and 25 touchdowns because that's how good he is. And this Cincinnati team, I don't think understands the game that they're playing nor, I mean, they may not even know this is football. Uh, that's how bad they played. They have made bad teams look uh, like Super Bowl champions. Oklahoma State, I think Oklahoma State honestly wins this game by, by 24 points. I think that's a, that's a very fair call. I think call. it's that bad. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be – it's it's at Oklahoma State too. Like, they're in, <laughs> they're in for a world of oh, pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See yeah, a nerds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so last game – but not least, uh, a game that I will not be touching this week with a 10-foot pole as far as betting goes. Uh, yeah. West Virginia at so UCF, minus seven points. What do you got, John? Yeah, I said it last week. I said it last week. Um, I, wouldn't touch, I wouldn't touch the spread here. I would touch the over. Uh, I would do the same this week as well. I have WVU covering. Uh, I don't know if they'll win this game. But I, I think this is a field goal game, which, uh, I, trust me, if, if you listened to the show last week, yes, I know. I said that about Oklahoma State. I get it. Uh, although, I don't think that they have a – I don't think – Ollie's not coming out of the tunnel for UCF, okay? 
they have a great back, but he's not him. Uh, so I don't think that they do what they did in the fourth quarter. And, and obviously, if that doesn't happen, that's a much closer game. Yeah, I think that that's just one of those you know weird occurrences that um, you know the defense fell asleep for a quarter. I don't think that happens, especially with I, I'm assuming that Neil in uh, them are, are just putting them through the ringer right now on defense. So I'm expecting them to play a little bit better. Uh, so I've got them at least covering. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that uh, I'm never going to bet. If if the bet's against West Virginia, I'm never hitting the bet personally. Um, logically, I, I think that what you said, this is definitely uh, under seven is going to decide this game. So I think that West Virginia probably covers here. And I would definitely take the over if I was going to bet, but I'm taking a week off from yeah. betting on West Virginia sports because uh, last week was <laughs> was not good for me. So, uh, but yeah, John, you want to take us out? Yeah, look, episode two, Brandon, good work. We're what an hour in. We've we've summarized everything to just absolute perfection in my book. I won't read the uh, Twitter comments when they blow us up and tell us how bad we are. But that doesn't matter to me, nor to you. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Come back next week where I'm sure we'll have even dumber things to say. And until then, let's go Mountaineers.